Welcome to episode 61 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week, we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, and I feel like this brown and black lens, this space that we've created, oh my God. I know part of what you're talking about is our interview last week with Gina Torres, Gina Torres. Which, which was so, if you missed that episode, you should really go back and listen. It's uh, just the last episode and, and the amount of comments, the amount of just fanfare for Gina Torres is, look, we've had some of the biggest names here. I don't think any of them compare to Gina Torres. People just love Gina Torres. And so what's great about talking with Gina is because she's in the the front line of that psychosocial erasure. And and the the idea that you have to be in conflict with yourself to and, and your identity because of, you know, well, you're either put into this box or you're put into that box. And if you're not that and you're too much of this, then you're not really that and you're not enough of this. It's the confusion. It's 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 the it's it's the not knowing why everyone can't see you for what you are, the unit that you are. They gotta break you apart. They gotta peel you away. And man, when eyes do that, because the power of eyes, the power of when someone looks, you know when someone's staring at you, man. And women have that sixth sense like glued, you know, since they were born. So when when the media, when entertainment, when Hollywood, when image representation peels you and that you never truly feel you as an Afro-Latino or an Afro-Latina actress, when you can't feel that your totality is not acknowledged or recognized, damn it, it sucks living half a life or half an identity all the time. It's a form of code switching. What happens when there's no code? Okay, when 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 you they're asking and it's you just to switching. Be, <laughs> it's just switching. I mean, Rita Moreno talked about this, where they had her play anything non-white they could possibly think of because they didn't know what to do with her. They could not embrace her totalness. They knew she was talented, but they did not have a clue of how to handle that. Uh, well, you know, here's what's interesting about us uh, setting up with this interview we're rebroadcasting for the end of Hispanic Heritage Month with John Leguizamo. And, and I have to read this to you because so, I haven't. And uh, I, I don't know if you know, this was announced yesterday uh, that John Leguizamo in, and uh, the creator of Spawn Todd McFarlane are releasing a, a new comic book? superhero. Yes, a comic book, Phenom X, and it's coming out next month. Okay. And what's interesting is they talk about it's been 24 years since he did uh, Spawn and, and he played the demonic clown. And, and they go to, uh, and they talk about who else is working on the project, and 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 there's Eduardo Miranda Rodriguez, who who's the the, the creator of something called La Barinqua, and he's the editor and creative director. But then they quote him, and this is his quote: He says, "The genesis of this story is the psychosocial erasure of Latinx people, and that is something that we have been talking about since he mentioned it in our." interview with him 
because I think it's that powerful. One of my favorite movies of the year so far, Mike, has been Critical Thinking. Um, and as you'll notice in the interview that we had with John Leguizamo, which is... He, the dude's become one of my favorite actors, but also educators and activists to a certain extent. Something that, I, you know, back when I knew him as a, as a comedian, you know, and, and the dude that was doing Ghetto Clown on stage and, and um, was kind of blowing up his own private life for, for comedic purposes... He's become a different man, and in his directorial debut uh, on the big screen, uh, Critical Thinking to me is a Latinx, Latinx chess movie, something that I've never, ever heard of in my life until now, framed in that way, and what I really enjoyed talking to him is, dude, the dude is obviously enlightened. I mean, he's a different man. Latin history for morons and the amount of research he did has now changed him changed the way he speaks changed the way he views the world his worldview has become so alluring and appealing and to talk about the history of latinx people for me man that has taken such a such a massive has has created such a massive impact in my life and uh man i'm just so glad i got a chance to talk to him some incredible wisdom of nuggets uh, that he left on this interview. It's interesting. We live in a time where comedians and comedy is more important than ever before. And I think comedy is always teaching us, you know, if you talk to any teacher that what's the best way to teach, the best way to teach is to, to engage and entertain. And that is what I think John Leguizamo has done throughout his entire career. And anybody who can make you laugh is somebody who can make you think. We got our own hot streak here in Miami. It's going to hit 95 we ain't got no milk. Ain't getting none either. Hey, yo! Yo, yo! Now, people, this is gonna be very basic for some of you. What you've got is 64 squares, 32 pieces. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, what Ivy League school you may go or may not go to, because chess is the great equalizer. We got a tournament coming up in a couple days. So we need to start really considering if we're serious about what we're doing here or not. The minute that you lose, you won't be losing. Today's Hagemata. The board is fine spending $400 on footballs, but not with sending kids on a road trip to improve their minds. You can have them play marbles for all I care. Just keep the bodies in the seats. You're underestimating me, okay? And more importantly, them. Kids like this from places like Dade County don't ever make it at team regionals. That shouldn't be too hard for them to swallow. Give up on them. Let their parents give up on them. Let the whole system give up on them. But you know what? I ain't, okay? This moment right here is the happiest I've ever been in my life. So you come in here bragging because you want a trophy. Play to win. These kids have real potential. My mommy's telling me, make something of myself. Yes, That's something new. 
Watch out, world. We coming for you. All four of us. Yo, we can be something special. Just remember, your mind can be your weapon. <gasps> From the streets, we were summoned. You've been doing a lot of brown and black movies throughout your career. Like, I was just uh, checking out uh, Hanging with the Homeboys. You remember that one. Of course. It's one of my favorite movies. It was my first big hit movie. And we got to Sundance. It, was, it won the, 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 the crowd award. Uh, Joe Vasquez was this beautiful guerrilla filmmaker, you know, Puerto Rican brother from the South Bronx, made his movies, sadly enough. You know, the business kind of broke his heart and disillusioned him. And he really thought that uh, Hanging with the Homeboys was going to break him out and bust him out. And, you know, being a Latin man in this country is, is a really difficult task, especially if you're ambitious and want to be successful. And so that's sadly, but we did this beautiful movie, man. It, it, it was uh, Dougie Dog. Yeah. Nessa Serrano. I mean, it was such a, it was like, that's what being a homeboy was back in the day. It was a lot of fun, man. And, you know, we've been talking about Latinx directors and he was one of them. Yes, he was. Frank Reyes was another. Wrote, directed, produced his own stuff. I mean, Empire was, was an incredible flick. You know, we got into Sundance with that one as well. Money is what life is all about. Getting it, losing it, needing it, living it, and dying for it. That's what the American dream is about. I got me a $40,000 truck I park in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the country, but no one touches it. Why? Respect. My name is Victor Rosa. I'm young, Latin, and good-looking. Made crazy money for a Sundance film for only $2 million. Made like uh, $20 million at the box office. Although I would have made more. But all I, <laughs> I tell you why. I tell you why. Why? Why? Because our contracts all were at twenty-one million. We would all get crazy bumps, and you're like, "Wait a minute!" The oh, movie wow. stopped just before everybody got their crazy payoffs. Hmm. Think about that. And then it made fifty million on DVD. You know? Huh. It was so by eighth, design. Eighth, eighth in the in the the top 10 movies it was by design dude because they didn't want to pay you guys up man that's the no, problem that we no. all face but now you're uh doing your feature directorial debut with critical thinking and uh, you star as mario martinez in a real life story about a teacher who in 1998 guided five black and brown students from miami jackson high school to become the first ever inner city school to win the u.s national chess championship so you know if i had to describe the movie It'd be, if searching Bobby Fischer had a baby with stand and deliver, you'd get critical <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of like a love child. They had a little love child. <laughs> they had a little but, love but child. A of, but a lot of passionate sex first. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because of critical thinking, I had to rewatch stand and deliver because there were so many things that I saw that were commonalities between those two movies, like for example, the part that you say that chess is the great equalizer and in Stand and Deliver, Jaime Escalante, where James Olmos' character says, math is the great equalizer. I wanted to talk to you how much that movie as a director and as an actor uh, had an influence in critical thinking. Oh my God, because you know, back then, you know, we hardly saw ourselves, man. You, you hardly saw yourself in any positive role, no superheroes, no comics, no, <laughs> no TV show, no picture book for children, uh, no sitcom. It, it was impossible. And then when you saw something like that, it was like, it like knocked the air out of you. You're like, oh my God, we, <laughs> we exist. We contribute. We're positive. We're intellectual. We're gifted. You know, uh, it, it just, you know, it was, it, 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 just, it was just a little bit of oxygen you needed to get, to keep going in life, you know, and keep believing in your dreams. For me as a, 
wanting to be an actor and aspiring director and writer. What made you decide to not just be in this, but direct this? Because, you know, this is quite a challenge, I think. You know, it's not easy to make playing chess interesting. There was a horrible book that came out in the 1990s that really devastated my self-esteem. It was called The Bell Curve. And at the time, nobody knew that they were fake scientists and that the research was shoddy and, and, and made up. But it was the proof of the book was the, the, what the guys were trying to prove was that Latin and black people were born genetically, intellectually inferior. Wow. I remember. It, it, they were everywhere. <laughs> you know, they were on PBS. They were on all the news shows. And I was like, what? Am I really born intellectually inferior? Can I not achieve genetically? Obviously, it was bogus made up, but who knew at the time till they were called out and they called out all their fake tests. So when this movie came up, I was like, this is like the antidote to that, to that bullshit. This is the, the vaccine against it. This is the one that says, look, these kids from the most underprivileged backgrounds, the most defunded public schools, they're still gifted. They're still talented. They're still street intellectuals, ghetto nerds, bookworms. You know, they exist. All they need is a, somebody to nurture them with a little water and boom, they sprout, you know, and, and that's what this movie is for me. It's the proof that we, that that book is wrong, that we are intellectually gifted, that we are of equal. You know, they've done some tests in, um, in Florida public schools because they were trying to find out why Latin and black kids were not in the gifted programs. And then the, t the research found out that it was when the parents and the teachers were the ones selecting, they didn't pick the Latin and black kids. They picked the white kids. When they took all that out and put just metrics, measurements, tests, the classes filled up with Latin and black kids. They were the majority. When, when they took out the parents and the teachers who were profiling, obviously, and, uh, and damaging that, that situation for those kids, their futures. How do we get Latin X movies in Hollywood? Stand and Deliver was released by Warner Brothers. Uh, La Bamba was released by Columbia Pictures. So there was a history before of... Hollywood studio companies releasing Latinx prestige films that would go to number one. La Bamba hit the Billboard charts at number one as well. Uh, Edward James Olmos was nominated for an Oscar. There is the ability for this to come back, to renew, to have a rebirth of these films. It doesn't need to be a rebirth. We just need a birth. Come on. I mean, <laughs> we didn't just get here. We've been here right. 500 years. We discovered America. We found it. We built it. The British took it from us. The Americans took the rest. And before that, we were the biggest empires in the world. The Incas, the Mayas, the Aztec, Comanche, Apache. And then we didn't stop there. Land people have fought in every single war America's ever had. And we're the most decorated minority in each and every single war. American Revolutionary War, 10,000 Latinx people fought. We had a general, Galvez, with an army of 3,000 Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Mexican-Americans freed slaves and Native Americans, and they kicked the British out of the South so they couldn't uh, attract the, the, the Patriots in New England. Now, I'm not talking about the football team. I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the Minutemen. And then 20,000 was fought in the Civil War with getting medals of honor. Puerto Rican Lieutenant Augusto Rodriguez, uh, Chilean um, Felipe Pizarro got a medal of honor from Abraham Lincoln, the first Admiral David Faragut. 120,000 was fought in World War One. 500,000 of us fought in World War Two. That's a huge contribution and sacrifice to the making of America. Where are those stories? I mean, we have millions of stories. What's 
damming it up? What's blocking, cock blocking our success? Did you encounter any resistance to make this movie? I had heard that you couldn't even get the money to make, get this film done. You pitch them all kinds of movies, comedies, sitcoms. They don't get it. They don't get you. They don't see you. They, they laugh. They go, it's well written. But, you know, when, and when this movie, I was like, I got a tight story. I got a certain amount of success and leverage. Dito Montel wrote a dope story. It's true. And I go to the studios and they tell me, you know, Latin people don't want to see Latin people. I'm going, what? I'm like, wow. My head is like, <laughs> Latin people don't want to see feel good movies. I'm, excuse me? What do we want to see? Just depressing uh, suicidal flicks? I mean, where did, you get your, where did you get your studies from? And then so I couldn't do it with the studios because they don't see, they don't see us, man. They don't get us. They don't love us. They don't care for us. So I went and raised the money myself. And here we are. Now, did you always want to direct it? Would, did this come to you as something you wanted to direct from, from day one? No, no. I, I was just going to star in it. And then they offered it to me to direct. I was like, yeah, I, I, I think I can really bring value to this flick. I really think I could add a little extra and, and get it done right. Within the, the script, you know, you sneak in everything that Jack was just talking about. You know, you have a line in there for the teacher who says something about history and how brown and black, you know, is just completely erased. Yeah from history, so we don't have that sense of, uh, not just history, but just, you know, pride even right. for what we've achieved. And, no, and other people don't see us in the same way either because they don't see our achievements either. That's how a white supremacist can come into a Latin community and shoot up 23 and kill 23 people living their lives, their Latin lives, you know, just in a mall. Because if you had seen our contributions in textbooks and history books, you would be respecting us and you wouldn't be attacking us and nobody would allow you to do that when you see black and latin contributions to america in textbooks and i'll tell you something in arizona latin history is against the law and in texas a lot of teachers told me they're allowed only one day to teach latin history in their history classes even though texas is 40 percent latin and 12 percent black we spoke to uh, kevin wilmot and trey byers the other day about, uh, about a movie called 24th that just came out oh, right and he was talking about the same my editor edited that movie. Get out of here. Jamie Kirkpatrick, he loves that flick. He talks so, talks big, that movie big. And we talked about you in that podcast. Yes, we did. About the problems of, of Latino representation. Because I had said to him, I said, listen, man, much like John Leguizamo, I have not seen myself in these, in these movies. And the idea is, is there even an appetite, John, for Latino historical dramas much like 24th about the black infantry that went apeshit in 1917 because they couldn't take it anymore. Why is it that the Civil War, the American Revolutionary War, World War II, all these figures, all these leaders we have not seen, is there not an appetite for that at all? No, I, I think there's an appetite. It's just because in, the, in our history textbooks, it's not there. So people start thinking that it's a fantasy, that it's made up, that it's Hollywood. That's part of the problem. Uh, Band of Brothers should have had a brown brother. You know what I mean? We were there and Black Brothers were there as well, you know. Uh, we need the representation. Uh, it, it's The appetite is there. Look, Lin-Manuel's Hamilton is the biggest hit Broadway in Broadway history in the 100-odd years or whatever, 150 years of Broadway's history. 
If you would have pitched that to a, a network, to a studio, to a streamer, <laughs> it would have never got done. They would have been, excuse me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hamilton is Puerto Rican and Burr is black. The founding fathers were turning their grace. They didn't, I, I gotta, excuse me, but they did not speak in rap in the 1700s, I assure you. It would have right. never got done because there are no gatekeepers on Broadway. That's why I get my shit done on Broadway because there's no gatekeepers. Mm. There's only, you got your script, it's tight, it's dope. You can raise the money, bam, it's yours. You rent out a shell. Looking at your life and your career, uh, everything that, that Jack and I are talking about and what, what part of the show is uh, about identity and representation. And, you know, we've, we touched upon, even last week or last show with Kevin Wilmot, we talked about, you know, the importance of not just knowing history. His quote was that uh, we don't own history, history owns us. What are your thoughts on just representation? How will that change? Because for you, you've played every kind of cat. You've played clowns. You've played sloths. <laughs> you've played teachers. You know, so you've shown not only can you, you can work in any medium. You can do comedy. You can do, you know, what more needs to happen, do you think, for I, the identity, not just for us to see ourselves, but for others to start to see us differently? Executives. You need, we, we need Latin executives. We need... You know, with 50% of the population of Los Angeles, Hollywood, and less than 3% of the, the faces in front of the camera, less than 2% of the crew behind the camera, and less than 1% of the, the, the stories, 50% of the population, that's cultural apartheid. In New York, we're equal to whites in population, and less than 1% of the staff at the New York Times, New York Magazine, anything with a New York banner. How is that possible? That's cultural apartheid. You know what I mean? That's, that's, it's called psychosocial erasure. That's what we live through being a Latin person and a black person in America, but especially Latinx, which is the least represented minority in children's picture books when we're 30% of the United States public schools. How does a kid build his self-esteem? How does he build his self-love and his self-worth? never seeing himself represented in, in children's picture books. Then it keeps growing on as you get older and older, the lack of representation, the lack of seeing yourself in a, in a successful way. How do you project yourself? How do other people say, oh, you know, Latin people should be running this company. Latin people should be the, the New York Times editor. Because we should be. You know, where, where we have metrics, we fucking win. Like in Spotify, Jay Balvin, my, my Colombian brother, is, is number one international world star because you can measure those hits. In the billboard, my Dominican sister Cardi B is number one. Camila Cabello was in the top 10, my Cuban sister. Maluma, my other Colombian brother. Uh, Bad Bunny, I mean, you name it. We're in, in baseball, because we got stats. In politics, AOC, Veronica Escobar, uh, Xavier Bercera, uh, Attorney General in, in California. Catalina Cruz, Cindy Polo in Miami, uh, Debbie, where, where we can count votes, but when it's an executive's taste and his opinion, we're done. When it's an, an executive at, at New York Times and it's their opinion, we're done. Can you please explain Hispanics for Trump for me? Can you please explain Ted Cruz? <laughs> That's like Road Rubio. to Parade. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I find, it, I find Latin Republicans for Trump disgusting. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't mind Latin Republicans, but for Trump, who said horrible things about my Mexican brothers and sisters, who tried to take away the bilingual government page, who's limiting 
the immigration of legal immigrants to our country only from Latin and black countries who, who threw paper towels at, at, at Puerto Ricans who were uh, 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 in dire straits and then jokingly said, I, should, I want to sell Puerto Rico. Disgusting. I mean, how can you, how can you look at yourself in the mirror and call yourself Latin and go, I don't care about my other Latin brothers. I just care about me. Nah, that doesn't, that doesn't, no, no. You can be Republican, but you can't be for Trump. You just can't. Well, you know, I have to ask you a question because uh, you're done. Thank you very much. Um, you know, similar to what Jack asked you, and, and I would love to get your perspective on this. One of the things that Jack and I have discussed, and, and I actually, I, I feel like I, I was a bit naive. I did not realize there was so much uh, hate or, or animosity that there were so many Latinos who don't like black people at all, who are, hate the Black Lives Matter movement. I, I really haven't heard that much of that because I've seen more, I don't know, maybe maybe the grams that I follow and the Facebook pages, they all seem mad positive. That's what I've seen. It's been disturbing for me. I, yeah. It's something I never noticed. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's mad racism in the Latin community. I mean, they, I mean, all that. I mean, look, look, at, look at that beautiful lady who was in Roma. Oh, Yalitza Aparicio. Yeah, that beautiful indigenous face. And, and they put her on the cover of of one of the top magazines, Vogue. she got so much hate from Latin people across Latin America. How could you put such an ugly face? How could you put this and that? She's not attractive enough. You know, th there's so much self-hate, so much European um, ideals of beauty still inflicted upon us. You know, you, you look at you look at Latin TV and you go, you see the, some of the whitest looking people and you're like, yo, that's like, 1% of the population in any of those countries. How are they? That's the standard of beauty. You, you, you know, that, that's, that's, it's a huge problem in our communities, our self-hate. My aunts with dark skin, you know, and they would always, they, their face would be like 50 shades lighter than their neck because they didn't have enough money to buy the neck part makeup <laughs> to lighten their necks. You know, what did you what did you make of the Goya CEO when he said that what Donald day. Trump is a brand builder? Did you stop buying Goya products? Should we all as Latinos stop pr uh, promoting that? Because, you know, it was a it was a moral conflict that I particularly had. I grew up with Goya. Of course, we did. I grew up with Goya. It was part of my childhood. Yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden I have to kind of like hate this guy. What is your perspective on how Latinos should kind of look at this situation? Because it's not something we've ever had to really confront. But I mean, he's a moron. First of all, anybody who says that Trump is a successful businessman, six bankruptcies. <laughs> if they, they said that if Trump had left all the millions that his father gave him and never touched it, he'd be so much richer now. And then he, he bankrupted a, a casino. Who bankrupts a casino? The, the, the tables are rigged to the favor of the house. It's like he, he's he's bankrupting America now, man. The inflation that's coming from Trump's policies of just printing money and 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 lowering the interest rates, inflation is gonna bite us in the ass. Mm. Anyway, yeah, Goya, you know, goodbye, <laughs> because I'm done with that. You know, I I started I looked up how to make my own sazon. My own, my wife's making her own sofrito. Right. You know what? Take out the MSG. Take out the nitrates. We're better off without all that garbage right. in our food. What is it? What uh, sazon is what? Uh, garlic powder, onion powder, coriander powder, cumin, uh, achote. Put some paprika in there. Pepper. Paprika. No, no, achote. Yep. 
Achote. Yeah, yeah, achote. Ah, That's okay. how indigenous red dye kind of flavor. Uh, you know, you mentioned before the importance, as we were talking about images and representation, we had a writer, an illustrator named Eric Velasquez on, and he had written a children's book because he's an Afro-Latino, Puerto Rican, you know, from the Bronx, and dark, darker, darker than me. And when he wrote this book, it was called Grandma's Records, and it came out, it was the first Afro-Latino oh, book wow. for children ever. Ever. And this is like in the 2000s. Now, does that, A, does that blow your mind? And then the second part of that is, what was it like for you now working with all these young actors? Because you have some great talent oh, wow. in there. That, are, you, are you inspired by the yeah. future? Do you think some of these are going to do? Because some of them, some of your actors are filmmakers too. You know, it was incredible. I mean, first of all, it was so difficult to pick my talent because there was so many Latinx and black talented wow. youth in America, hundreds. They were all blew my mind. First of all, I was just like so pumped up that I was like, oh my God, you're better than, oh wait, you're even better. Wow, you, the talent was ridiculous. <laughs> so to, to, the only way for me to narrow it down was like, oh, I'm just gonna pick people that look like the character or, or they embody the personality exactly. So, cause you know, I, I'm directing, I'm in it. I'm producing it. I don't have the time to develop it all the way there. You know, I need you to be halfway there already. So that's what I did, man. The, the amount of talent out there, dude, is so beautiful. Mm. There was like this whole conversation about whether white filmmakers, white storytellers, should they still be uh, telling black stories, telling Latinx stories? Where do you feel, like, for example, one of the big problems is, like, In the Heights is coming out, yet John Chu, an Asian, uh, he's the one that directed it. Shouldn't it been have a, a Latino tell that story? Shouldn't Latinos tell their stories as opposed to white creators and white storytellers tell our stories? No, that's an interesting question, man. It's a, it's a, I mean, in, in, in the ideal world, we should all be directing everybody's stories because we should all be empathic and and uh, understanding of each other's stories, because we're all human beings. It's all the same story in a way, you know? But, and, and, but it doesn't flow that way, you know? Obviously, Latin actors, directors, are not really asked to direct a lot of white movies. Although Alfonso Cuaron's done pretty well, and, and Guillermo del Toro and Inarritu, they do a lot of white films, and not as many Latinx films. Uh, you know, it, it's complicated, man. I mean, I, 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 I like my Latinx directors to have an opportunity and a chance but if somebody's championing a story for us, I I'll take that too. I don't like when, you know, like Argo, <laughs> somebody playing, taking a, a Puerto Rican role from a, you know, FBI when we have such few positive stories. That one, that was kind of tougher for me. What kind of advice do you give to young people coming up in the business now? Because you've been in the business for a minute and, you know, you, I'm certain, like you said, you felt you faced all kinds of resistance. Oh, so yeah. two-part question. How much do you think things have changed and what advice do you give to young Latinx and, you know, brown and black people of color who want to be in I this? say say yes to everything, you know, even if it's demeaning, you know, even if it's catering for a movie or or being an assistant's assistant, you got to do it all because some some way you're you're learning and absorbing and you'll be able to use that and weaponize that information. Uh, secondly, I say don't wait for Hollywood, man. Do not wait. It ain't coming for you. <laughs> Make it, write it, produce it, direct it, watch it yourself if you have to. Do it on social media. Just keep putting it out there. Keep writing it. Don't stop. 
you know, hopefully this is a a reckoning this this time right now. And hopefully things are going to change big time. And I have a good feeling about it because I, I really do feel like studios are really trying to be sensitive and understand that they have been in the wrong and that they've been excluding us completely, Latin and black people. Um, and, and so I, I've seen them reach out. I really have seen publishers because that's where, you know, that's where it's at the worst is for Latin and black, especially Latinx. Um, and movie executives have reached, there are, there are, there, there, I think there is a conscious effort. I, I think we're going to see a big difference after this COVID and, and after this election. I think we really are going to see the impacts of, of, of a new America, even though we have all this white supremacy, QAnon, conspiracy nonsense going on and, 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 and hatred, the pushback because we're finally getting our, our due, you know, and, and black people are finally getting the respect they deserve. John, what is the future of Latin history for morons? Is this it? Are you still touring it? If you can give us an update on that. And if you can also give us an update on Kiss My Ass Tech, which is a musical you've been working on <laughs> I for quite some time. <laughs> Don't ask me again. <laughs> but will we see it on Broadway whenever the theater comes back? What is the future of that? Well, uh, Latin History for Morons is on Netflix. I'm not going to tour with it anymore because I, I, I put it down. But I, I am, from the tour, I taped some new bits that are so dope. I, I got a little more courage to put in more history. So that's going to be, there's going to be a new release of Latin History for Morons on, on Netflix. And, and Kiss My Ass Tech, yo, it's gotten so tight. It's so funny. The music is so tight and dope. It, it, it's going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be like Book of Mormon meets Spam a lot, but really funny, man. And, and about Conquest, because, you know, Conquest is hilarious. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping, you know, hoping Broadway uh, maybe 2022 spring, 2022 spring. Wow. All right, great. For you now, uh, doing this and having directed this, this feature film and the temperature and everything where you are, you, you've done Broadway, you've got this new show coming out. What kind of films do you want to be making in this next chapter of your career? Oh, yeah, what, yeah. What do you want to well, be doing? I want to do a superhero. I want to do a World War II movie. I want to do a Vietnam movie. I want to do a World War One. I. I want to do an American Revolutionary War movie. I want to do incredible stories. You know, 6,000 Latinx people between 1830 and 1930 were lynched burned alive and shot. A lot of them children crossing the border for school, they would hang them. Uh, I, I want to tell those stories. You know, that's why I feel like Latin people disrespecting Black people is so crazy because we have such a shared history. You know, the same abuse of Jim Crow existed for Latin people. No Mexicans or dogs allowed. You know, there, there were those signs everywhere. And uh, we just need to respect each other more. And I want to tell those stories. You know, I really, I really, there's so many great stories of 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 uh, um, Sylvia Melendez. I want to tell her story. Menendez. She was the, in 1940s. She was fighting segregation in California schools because Latin kids weren't allowed to go in white schools. And she went and fought with uh, the Supreme Court, and she paved the way for Brown versus Board of Ed. That's a powerful story. She was given the Medal of Honor by by Obama himself. Well, John, thank you so much, man. I, I, we really appreciated everything. Thank uh, you for having me, man. I appreciate you guys. Much absolutely. love. Absolutely. Stay positive.
That's it for the 61st episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Torado. Next week, we got a great Halloween episode. You don't want to miss that one. You can follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.